Good morning. Welcome to every one of you. It, it's an honor to be here today and to be able to speak joy. Uh, and welcome to those who are participating online as well. We're grateful that you could join us too. Uh, we are in the season as, of Advent, as Ramona pointed out to us. Two weeks ago, we focused on hope. Last week, we focused on peace. And this morning, we're focusing on joy. So how about we all just show a little bit of extra joy this week, huh? Yeah? What, what's wrong with a statement such as this? I think if, if I was sitting in a pew and someone up here said that to me, I kind of have two red flags going off in my mind. One, I can't really just choose to have more joy this week, can I? There's an element of genuine joy that, that makes it impulsive. The lighting up of our eyes, the way we hold ourselves when we walk, uh, the irresistible smile, a burst of laughter. It, I can't just create that out of nothing. Number two, even if I could just conjure up joy out of nothing, I'm still kind of a little bit insulted that we just took one of the primary attributes of the Christian life and turned it into a one-week campaign. One and done. Okay, but now I'm in a predicament because I, I recognize that joy isn't just created out of nothing, but I also recognize and value that there's an element of joy that has a persistence, a, a continuous aspect in the life of a believer. So how do we hold these two things together? There's two main questions that I want us to explore this morning. One, how do we become steadfast in joy? And two, when we can tell that our joy has been depleted, when our joy is just kind of dropped off the radar, how do we get it back? To do this, we'll be turning to Isaiah chapter 12, looking at verses 2 to 6. Uh, you can start turning there in your Bibles now if you would like. Uh, but before we start reading, uh, I think it's important for us to just kind of give a, a, a brief understanding recognition of what is joy? The Bible uses a number of synonyms, <laughs> synonyms uh, or interchangeable words for joy. Some of what they say is rejoice, be glad, be cheerful, be happy. Sometimes it's, it's in this exceedingly so, this bubbling up of joy. And that's kind of what we really focus our minds on and what we recognize as, oh, we're joy if we're like overflowing bubbly. But the Bible also speaks of joy in terms of calmness, contentment, and is even just simply used as a greeting at times. We like to draw a line. This is happiness, and this is joy. And there's, there's value, and I see the intention in doing that, but it's difficult to draw a concrete line because happiness is a component of joy. Not always, and it's not all that joy is. Joy is, has a much farther reach than that. We could say something like this. Happiness is circumstantial. It's temporary and really only exists when it's the dominant emotion that we are feeling at that time. In contrast, joy is present at all times. At least it's, it's available to us at all times. It can be accessed at all times. Might not always look like a smile on our face, but joy can be present. Joy coexists with other emotions. And joy can be cultivated. 
Joy can be something that we grow in. So we can kind of have these things in the back of our mind as we continue. Uh, Let me pray, and then we'll read our text for the day. Heavenly Father, we, we pursue you. We pursue your word and greater understanding. Lord, we trust that you offer joy to us, and that is what we seek to discover a little bit more of in this day. So Holy Spirit, would you come, bring us understanding, bring us insight, and lead us into a closer relationship with you. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Reading from Isaiah chapter 12, starting at verse 2, going till verse 6. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust. I will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation, and you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy. O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. We're kind of going to be looking at this in three sections. First, I want to focus in on verse 2, specifically the phrase, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. But as we read this as a whole, there's an element of anticipation. We sense that there's something coming later that will lead us into a greater fulfillment of joy. And, And I think we can identify with that pretty easily in this Christmas season, anticipation, waiting for Christmas Day is often uh, just as exciting and fun as Christmas Day itself. But what if we find ourselves in a season of anticipation that isn't just crafts and cookies? What if our current circumstances are not susceptible to joy? What if we are not experiencing joy right now? Let me share with you the context in what Isaiah is speaking these words It's important to note at this time that the nation of Israel is actually divided into two separate kingdoms. There's a kingdom in the north, uh, and they have the name of Israel, and there's a kingdom in the south, and they have the name of Judah. Kind of seems like they got the short end of the deal because Israel's name is up here, but Judah's pretty important. Spoiler alert, Jesus comes from Judah, so they're okay with that now. Uh, These two kingdoms, one, they do not like each other. Technically, yes, they are all God's people, but politically they are separate. They have separate kings, separate armies, and a lot of the time separate religions and beliefs. At this time, they're both led by wicked kings, kings that are leading them away from God, leading in rebellion from God. These two kingdoms do not like each other, and they often are at war with one another. Isaiah is specifically speaking to the southern kingdom, kingdom of Judah. He spends the first five chapters of the book giving them a rebuke, a nation that is moving farther from God, closer to judgment. Although we can see that this rebuke, this judgment, is for their own purification. There's an, uh, an overruling concept of grace that this is moving towards. Chapter 7 is significant for us. At this time, nation of Israel is coming down to confront the nation of Judah, who we're talking about, they want to conquer them. They want to take them over and take them for themselves. So Isaiah comes to the king of Judah, and he says these words to him. Be careful, be quiet, 
do not fear, do not let your heart be faint. In other words, trust God. Remember where your salvation comes from. Trust God. Why? Well, actually, Isaiah gives a prophecy that, you know, within 65 years, nation of Israel up here, they're going to be swept off from being a people. They're going to be destroyed. They will be shattered from being a people, and the head of Israel is Samaria. Samaria is going to be important for us this morning. So then Isaiah goes on, tells the nation of Judah, you know, ask for a sign. Ask God to prove that he is your Savior. And they say, no, no, I don't think we want to do that. He says, no. Chapter 7, verse 14, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. As they're saying, God will be with you. Trust in God. Remember God and turn to him. The Savior is coming from your people. Isaiah's prediction of the fall of Israel comes true in only 10 to 15 years from now. Uh, A nation of Assyria developing superpower of the time moves across the land, destroying everything in its path. They are at the door of Israel. Ironically, Israel then gives Judah a call. He's like, hey, how about you, uh, you want to come partner up with us? Maybe we can hold our ground against these guys. Judah remembers the call to trust in God recognizes that partnering with Israel is a bad decision because they too are a wicked nation at this time, but, but he does not go so far to trust in God. Instead, what Judah does, he places their trust in an earthly king, Assyria. He pays Assyria for protection. Assyria moves through the nation of Israel, sweeps them clean, conquers their capital, Samaria, They send some of Samaria into exile, back up into um, Assyria, and they don't come back. But more distinctly, Assyria imports all the other nations and moves them into Samaria, so that in just within one generation, the Samaritans have been a completely transformed people. They've married into and they have assimilated with these other nations, with their other beliefs, with their other practices we could say that the Samaritans have become a half-breed, unclean people. And that is how they are viewed for the rest of this time. If Jews didn't like to be associated with Samaria before, they really don't want to be associated with them now. Now, as far as Judah goes, how this plays out, technically they survived, but they are not unscathed. Assyria doesn't treat them well. It takes most of their land there is but a small portion left of them. Technically, they survived, but they've lost their independence. They're now governed by Assyria. In this despair, we could say in this lack of joy, God intervenes for his people by continuing to provide hope, hope through the prophecy of salvation And many of these passages are going to be familiar for us. In Isaiah chapter 9, we read, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. For to us a child is born, a son is given, shall be called Prince of Peace. The increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Those are powerful words in the midst of an oppressed nation. Chapter 11, 
There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. A stump is literally all that remains of the people of God. They're referred to as a remnant. The ones who remain. But from here, a new life will come forward and be filled with the spirit of righteousness and of faithfulness. Everything that Judah was lacking will come. He goes on to say, The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, they shall not hunt or destroy. A vision where the predator no longer hunts the prey. All hostility will be removed. Isaiah continues, He will signal the nations. He will call back the banished of Israel. We can read the banished of Samaria. He'll gather the dispersed of Judah and remove the angst and jealousy between them. God has revealed his plan of salvation that will restore them better than they have ever been before. And it's revealed at a time where they are in fear, where they're beaten around, where they are oppressed, and so on. And it is with this understanding that Isaiah in chapter 12, our verse today, reads, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. Isaiah was sent to the king of Judah with the words, Trust God. Remember God. Look at his promises. He did not. Because he did not trust in the promises of God, he had no hope. When we lack hope, we consequently lack joy. Romans 12, 12 tells us, rejoice, which means have joy. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. I guess we could also say this about the difference between happiness and joy. God, God cares more about our eternal joy than our momentary happiness. If God's primary objective was to keep us happy, then in a circumstance like what Judah was going through, he would have just dished them whatever their hearts desired to appease them so that they would recognize him. But that is not what we see happening. Rather, God is transforming his people to become something far greater than what they could become on their own. In the midst of their shortcomings, he is leading them to an everlasting joy, not a temporary one. So from this, if you feel that you are lacking joy, I encourage you to return to your hope. And I'm confident that as you explore where your hope is, you'll discover that joy can be found. Now again, this doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to be smiling all the time. Joy can coexist with other emotions. Rather, we have joy in hope because we know that suffering is temporary. Joy is eternal. We stay fixated on knowing, <clears throat> on knowing that God will sustain us and provide us with hope. Hope is an opportunity for joy, and our hope does not put us to shame. We have joy and hope because we trust and have confidence, confidence that God is at work both in us and through us. He is doing far more than what we could ever do on our own. This next point is where things really start to come together because we have seen that joy is available even in the worst of the circumstances. 
Now we get to discover how to keep joy close to us and how to keep joy consistent in our life. Let's go back to our main text, Isaiah chapter 12. We've already read, God is my salvation, I will trust and I'll not be afraid. Verse 3, we read, With joy you'll draw water from the wells of salvation, and you will say in that day, Give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples. Proclaim that his name is exalted. We have joy through trusting in the promises of God. And now we see that there's a fuller sense of joy in the fulfillment of the promises of God. So let's go to where this passage is fulfilled. And we will discover more and new joy. John chapter 4. It's not going to be on the screen. If you have your Bibles, I'll be reading on and off from this chapter uh, for a bit, or you can just simply listen. John chapter 4, starting at verse 3. He, that is Jesus, left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus... Wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour, and a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Do you see where this is going? I want us to see how connected these two passages are, that the words from Isaiah to Judah resonate with the words of Jesus to the Samaritan. They're not two separate stories. It is one story being continued. Remember who the Samaritans were? People who were cut off, half-breed, unclean, far from God. So let's keep reading. Jesus said to this woman, give me a drink. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, And who it was that is saying to to you, give me a drink, you'd have asked him, and he would have given you living water, wells of salvation. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Isn't that our big question? Where do we get this living water? Jesus says, whoever drinks the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. A spring of water is continuous. Now Jesus proceeds to tell this woman some of her relationship history, and this woman understands that Jesus is a prophet, but she also goes on to say, but you Jews tell us that we have to worship over here and like this. But in Samaria, we believe that worship takes place over here like this, and I know we're not going to agree on this, And I know that I'm not welcome to come worship over there. So why are you telling me these things? Jesus goes on, the hour is coming and is now here, the fulfillment of our hope. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. Did you notice that she, she has hope? 
Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Now this is what Isaiah is talking about. This is the fulfillment of the prophecy. Jesus, the prophesied Savior, the virgin birth, the one from the line of Judah, the Prince of Peace who has come to regather his people, to make them one again, removing the hostility and delivering the joy that was hoped for and is now here. There is joy in the fulfillment of God's promises. There is joy when we are united under the name of Jesus. There is joy when we receive salvation that brings us peace with God. And as Pastor West said last week, this peace is for us today, and this peace is for us forever. Our joy comes from peace. Peace with God and peace with one another. Now, this is only the work of Jesus. Joy is not something we create. It is something that you are given. There is joy in hope, and we remain in hope that will lead us to peace, the greater fulfillment of joy. And this woman, she gets it. She understands the implications of what she has just encountered in her response. She drops her jar of water. She runs into the town and tells the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And those people, they went out from the town and were going to Jesus from her testimony. They said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know and we trust. This is indeed the Savior of the world. This woman's response really beautifully echoes Isaiah chapter 12, our main passage, verse 4, make known his deeds among the peoples. Proclaim that his name is exalted. There is joy in this well of salvation. And again, joy carries a variety of emotions. And, and from this story alone, we can see that, yes, joy has an enthusiasm. That's kind of what we expect. But joy, joy also has relief. Joy has amazement. Joy also has assurance. All of this and more leads us into a fuller understanding of joy. Do you remember the joy of your own salvation? And for many of us, we can say, yes, we do. And it's a beautiful thing. But several of us, including myself, we have to say no. I actually literally do not remember that day. I remember many points of my Christian journey that are very significant to me. But that initial declaration of Jesus, I really only know because of the stories that I have been told. But thankfully, thankfully there is more to our joy than just one standalone moment. There is more that can make it steadfast. Now both Isaiah and John continue in these themes of life-giving water. Isaiah says things like, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. That's an open invitation. He says that the Lord will guide you and satisfy you in scorched places. You'll be like a well-watered garden, like a spring of water. You'll be spiritually healthy in the midst of difficulty. And John in chapter 7, Jesus says, Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, as Isaiah has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit 
whom those who believed in him were to receive. The images that we are given here are of an abundance, of an overflow, of a continuous flow of water. We don't just take our buckets to the well, dip it in once, and sip on it for the rest of our life. There is a continuous daily receiving, daily refreshing of this water. There's always more of Jesus to be had, which means there's always more joy to discover. Joy as the fruit of the Holy Spirit within us and the ongoing work that he is doing in us and through us. Joy comes from the well of salvation. Isaiah tells us this very directly. And the story of Jesus and the Samaritan, it's certainly implied, but Jesus takes it one step further. How we can grow in our joy. You know, the disciples, unfortunately, missed this whole scene with the woman at the well. So Jesus recaps it for them in this way. He speaks to his disciples, and look, the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together, so that they may have joy. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored. You have entered into their labor. Who labored? Isaiah labored. The entire Old Testament labored for this moment of fulfillment. And now we are invited into it as well. The sower and the reaper have joy together. And our joy grows when we actively participate in the work of Christ. Now, the wells are truly endless. There's enough for everyone who believes to partake. Our joy comes from the water, but it also comes from leading others to the well. We're called to reap. We're called to sow. We're called to participate in the things of God, and through that participation, we will discover joy. This is not of ourselves. It's not of our own pursuits. It's not something that we can do. It's, it's being included in a part of something that is greater than ourselves. Something more than we could ever imagine. It's being a part of the work of God. This is our invitation for joy. This brings us to the final two verses in our main text, Isaiah chapter 12, verses 5 to 6. We read, Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of God. Great in your midst. The greatest expression of God with us, Emmanuel, Jesus. As, as we are in the season of Advent, the season of preparation and anticipation of the prophesied Messiah, it's only appropriate that we take a look at his birth. Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 8. There were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign to you, you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. The season of Advent, we highlight hope 
peace, joy, and love. These are not isolated attributes. They're deeply connected and intertwined with one another. The good news of great joy. This is the culmination of all joy. It brings together the anticipation, which is our hope. It brings together the fulfillment, which is our peace, and the participation in this powerful act of love that will continue for an eternity. God with us is our joy. And to have joy is to recognize that we have been included in the plans and purposes of God. This will provide a variety of emotions for us. And this morning, specifically, we're looking at both the manger and the cross of Christ. We're not just being led to the wells of water, but this morning we're being led to the well of eternal blood of the covenant. We're going to participate in communion together. And I'll invite the elders forward at this time. If you happen to miss picking up the juice and the bread on your way in, just simply raise your hand, and the elders will come by and make sure that you receive that and can participate as well. This is open for anyone who believes in Jesus. Our joy is in the hope of greater things to come. Our joy is in the fulfillment of God's promises that bring us peace with God. And in this act of communion, we find our joy in participating with one another in the remembrance of Christ. There is joy even in the suffering because joy is part of our Christian identity that runs deeply through us. And because joy can coexist with other emotions, we see the pain and we hold to the promises.